Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Two years ago, with debts of three million pounds, Millwall nearly folded. The future of football of the den looked bleak. That's when Reg Burr took over as chairman. The debts were cleared, a new club was formed, and now promotion. There are people who have waited a lifetime for this. There are people who waited all their lives and not seen it. Um, uh, I have never seen any, uh, the, any emotion so high in football as they were running on uh, yesterday at, at, at Hull. Welcome, dear listeners. Welcome to another special edition of Achtung Millwall. We have a truly global global panel for you today all the way from australia mr jimmy webb welcome to the show jim uh, thanks nick and uh, good afternoon good morning good evening good night to everyone uh... <laughs> and good luck and all the way from um a location somewhere in east anglia i believe mr neil crazy horse andrews welcome to the show neil good day good day <laughs> I know you're not in Australia because no one can travel out of HMP Great Britain at the moment. So there we are. We live in strange times. Yeah, no one can get into HMP Australia. The borders are shut. <laughs> what odd times. Um, I, I was quite keen to do a few little bits and pieces. So thank you both for coming on the show today, chaps. Um, we, we did a, a favourite season yesterday, and this is would well, certainly been my favourite season and my Mill supporting life. Would it have been your choice, Neil, as a favourite season ever? Would it have been this one? 1987-88? No. It wouldn't. No, no, no. no. My favourite season was 1979-80, which okay. is a bizarre season. But it was the last season my granddad was alive. And okay. I went down almost every home game with him. So that always stands in the memory. This is actually one of my least favourite seasons, uh, which I'll go into detail about later in the conversation uh, for personal reasons. That's really um, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was an odd season for me. Um, mainly All because, right. um, I don't know if you remember, it's, uh, to put it into perspective, you know, football was a bit different back then. You know, if you think about when it kicked off, only two seasons before we had Heysel, uh, we had the Bradford Fire, 
Um, we also had that uh, 15-year-old boy die at Birmingham City, didn't we, at the end yeah, of the season? Yeah, we did. So football yeah, was a completely different landscape back then. And as a result, I wasn't allowed to go to football games on my own. Okay. What about you, Jim? Would this have been your favourite season, mate, given the free choice of any, any season? Was, yeah, I think it was one of them up to about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Downer. <laughs> Of a sudden, 82, 83 rings is getting better. <laughs> well, we'll come back to both. <laughs> we'll come back to both of those seasons another show because we've got about six or seven months to fill up now with um, <laughs> nostalgia pieces to, to try and uh, make up for the fact there's no live sport. Um, it was it was my favourite season. Although one of the interesting things about doing these little pieces, and I don't know if you both agree with with this, is as you look back, I mean, you're, Neil, you're right about the the different landscape of football and those um, you know awful incidents that happened at the time. But um, the the season kind of developed. It 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 started off with um, kind of high hopes. I mean, I remember there was. Um, Reg Burr had invested in the in in the squad, and we had the likes of uh, Cascarino coming in, didn't we? And back in the the, the summer of '87, Cascarino, um, two hundred twenty-five thousand uh, pounds. Kevin O'Callaghan um, and, and Jules Lawrence coming in for one hundred sixty thousand. Um, so there was there was my my feeling at the start of the season, Jim. I don't know how you felt at the start of the campaign. Was there was a if not excitement, there was a there was a slight buzz in the air at the den, wasn't there, back in August '87. I think I think everyone wondered which bank Rochefort. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, no one ever knew where that money came from. Actually, that's a, that's a fairly good point because. Um, was it part of the Count Asda business? Well, that was in the seventies. Uh, Burr, uh, maybe Neil can correct me. I mean, he's, he's dead, so I can't libel him. Um, but I think he was involved in um like an in, wasn't it whether we call it an insurance an insurance collapse wasn't he in the um in a previous life I think he'd been involved in the insurance industry and his, his company had collapsed and something like that. He was um on the stock market wasn't he? He was a stockbroker. He had made was his he? money investing other people's money. But we had done the um the Lewisham deal, hadn't we? But the if you remember beforehand, we were sponsored by the LDDC, so we? I yeah. think we got a bit of money out of that. Um, but yeah, like you say, the money we spent, although it seems minim- uh, minuscule in today's standards, was actually big money back then. Um, you know, that was quite a lot of money for Mill to actually shell out on players. Um, whereas previously we'd been, you know, begging, borrowing, and um, signing free transfers who were hopeless. Um, yeah, so yeah, I remember, you know, I remember Kevin O'Callaghan coming back. Uh, part of the reason was for the 79-80 season, which, you know, he was in his pomp. He was a youth. Be- yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that was the big one for me, him coming back. Um, you know, Cascarino, no, you know, everyone knew that he'd score goals at Gillingham, but would you say you were expecting a lot out of him? I don't know. After thing, people like Trevor Hay, probably not. Um, George <laughs> Lawrence looked tricky and quite quick. Um, but, you know, being a pessimist Millwall supporter, you know, you always think, yeah, it's like, yeah, I remember having thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go up with Mick McCarthy signed all those players in 95 and look how that turned out. So, um there, there was an element of caution to the optimism, shall we say. What about you, Jim? Were you were you cautious, mate, at the start of the season? Yeah, well, because I've just I've just got the, uh, the the program in front of me from the Barnsley game, which is the first home game of the season. Yeah, remember. Reg Burr welcomes you to the Den for the start of the 87-88 season. So we've we've mentioned the players that he signed. There's another one, Steve Wood, was another signing. Yes, eighty thousand. Well. Yeah. 
Frank McClintock joins as assistant manager. Yeah, um, I, I was, I was going was to mention the, the management. I mean, we, we, we're touching on the, the chairman um, because this this story obviously has a happy ending. I don't think we're giving away any spoiler alerts to, to any listeners out there. But there's, a, there's the, the three main um, aspects of this season begins with Reg Burr, in all honesty, because however he got the money, Jim, um, he brought in players that turned out to be absolute, um, you know, Diamonds in the end, didn't they? I mean, I'm just looking at the squad that was assembled prior to this season. I mean, Herlock came in in February '87. Um, Jimmy Carter for fifteen thousand pounds. I mean, this is, you know, you, you think what business <laughs> that was. Jimmy Carter in March 1987 for fifteen grand, and then we've mentioned O'Callaghan and Cascarino. I think Carter's was a typical signing, though, wasn't it? Um, 15,000 for a reserve team player wasn't uncommon at Millwall. I think a bigger question we had to ask was, you know, had Jim's wife let him transport all his programmes to Australia when they emigrated? <laughs> <laughs> I always think of that. When I, where I live, I often go past these um, send a barrel of stuff to Barbados kind of um, businesses you see are knocking around. I always picture Jim with your, your a big barrel full of Millwall programs going on a, a slow slow boat to Australia, you know. Hell of a hell of a barrel, believe me, though. <laughs> well well but, done. Did you, know, did you know that we had new floodlights this season? This season, did we? The old, yeah, the old Harry, dim ones. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just going back to Reggie's notes, it's got, you know, apart from the three hundred thousand spent players, we've also uh, new floodlights operating in time for the first evening game. They relayed the pitch, installed new seats in the grandstand, resurfaced the Elder and Road car park. They've managed to paint the whole ground as far as we could manage it, and concluded with a deal with Lewish and Council. Yeah, I forgot what? about the floodlights. They go wrong now. Yeah. I forgot about the floodlights because those floodlights were, I don't know. I, I remember that you know they had the, the old. There was about nine on each pylon originally, weren't there? And, well, the and old ones in, yeah. In the 70s, I mean, I was always a little bit embarrassed whenever the TV cameras turned up at the den because, especially for the winter, you know, games, the Saturday afternoon ones where it got to about four o'clock and the floodlights had to come on because we used to have like, um, there were six big bulbs or whatever you yeah. call them. And they're always really dim. And on the TV, it looked like you're kind of shooting um, footage for a fog or something. It was, whereas other teams had international class. I remember um, Crystal Palace had international quality, Philips installed you know, Dutch-German style floodlighting, and ours always looked like it was an old light bulb <laughs> um, that, that was on the bring of Blakey or something, you know. Yeah, I wonder if that season they finally changed the badges on the um, the stanchions of the floodlights, you know, oh, the, um, the, um, the yeah, pedestals, yeah, because yeah, they used to have the old Dutch roaring lion painted in mm. the old blue on them for years, didn't they? Until from the, the 70s. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, we... we, we we improved the floodlights and that enabled television coverage to look half decent at the den, which um, probably all came together in one karmic kind of, um, you know, moment of, of joy. Um, um, typical, though, isn't it? Our greatest season. We're talking about the floodlights. <laughs> John Doherty. I mean, we mentioned Reg Burr, um, who's brought the money from where we don't know. Maybe he had some kind of deal in inverted commas going that got all this money for floodlight seats and, and players. But... Um, and Jim, you've touched on Frank McClintock coming in as an assistant to John Doherty, but um, I just took a quick look at John Doherty's biography on, on on Wikipedia, and there's not much clue in his managerial career to show, you know, to, to give you any idea that this was going to be 
Mill's most successful manager ever, really. He'd he, he done reasonably well at Cambridge, but they hadn't set any, you know, hadn't set the place on fire. Um, and yet, there it is. You know, it, 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 it all came together with John Doherty and McClintock as his sidekick. He was cheap. Do you want, yeah, it may be. It may be. Maybe. I mean, certainly, I mean, Cambridge, where he was before, um, they, he did well. I mean, it's, um, they were, at one point, they, were, they came close to promotion, but it didn't seem to have achieved any great success there. But it's a different um, time, though, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, these days, you've got to have to have won several World Cups to even get a job at Stoke City. But back then, you know, remember, George Graham came from the reserve team. Was it QPR? Um, so John Ducky had done a few years at Brentford as well. So I think if, if you look at it in you know, without today's spectacles on, you know, it's kind of, you used to recruit managers that are up and coming like you would in most uh, work lives these days, you know, someone had done their apprenticeship with a reserve cl- uh, team somewhere, they moved into first assistant management kind of thing. So I think he was on the rise. Um, so I, th- I think for the time it was probably a good hire, you know, someone who's done oh, yeah, something Cambridge yeah. and you know, things like that. So I don't think, you know, we should read too much into his background of not actually achieving what you would expect someone like Gary Rowett to achieve before he came to Millwall this season. No, I mean, Frank McClintock, obviously, as a player, um, Arsenal double win. I mean, George Graham, I think, had been part of that same team, hadn't he, previously to, to John Doherty. But McClintock was a more established name in football, um, winner of the double with Arsenal and a Scottish international, I believe. Now, wasn't he? He was a regular in, in, the, in the Scottish national team. He was, yeah. Um, I don't think he went to any of the World Cups, though. No. No, but you know certainly he brought in um, you know a, a level of a level of uh, experience. There's a great quote, and I found it. I don't know if I found it earlier on. This is a quote from um, Frank McClintock because one of the things and the criticisms maybe levelled at Millwall in this era, um, like Wimbledon perhaps in a, in a different way, was the quality of the football was seen as direct. Um, and it's interesting. There's a quote from on the Wikipedia page of uh, Frank McClintock where Arsenal the successful double-winning Arsenal of 1971 were always compared unfavourably uh, in football quality terms with the Spurs double-winning side of the uh, early 60s. Um, and McClintock's basically saying that there was a very dismissive tone levelled at that Arsenal team, dull, sterile and un- unimaginative, um, whereas he would call them well-organised, highly efficient and powerful. Um, and I think the same they, they brought the same qualities into that, that middle team that season, didn't they? I mean, no one ever really praised us for the quality of our football, but organisation and 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 um, commitment and and power and all the rest of it, very much to the fore. It's results, wasn't it? Results, absolutely, absolutely. So, start of the season, we've got a squad that's been assembled. Um, not a huge amount of money spent, to comparatively speaking. Um, but there was a, there was a strange sense of after the initial excitement. I'm just looking at that game that you mentioned there, Jim, the three-one win over Barnsley, which was um, first home game. Only six thousand people showed up yeah. for that game. Um, incredible, incredibly low crowds. Looking back, and then an Orient game. Um, that's in the League Cup, so it's four thousand. But you know, six thousand, seven thousand, um, and a fairly average start to the to the campaign because. You know, by by Christmas, I think I'm just looking down at the uh, the list here. I mean, by Christmas we were we'd we gone down to tenth in the table in October. By Christmas, we we're kind of hovering in 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 eighth and ninth and seventh positions. Um, but there was no great hint of the glories to come at that point, was there? I mean, it was a, it was a fairly 
mundane start overall to the campaign. Well, but by boxing Boxing Day. Would anyone said a Boxing Day? This is the team that's going to win the league. Boxing Day fixture was um, West Brom, West Brom wasn't it? Three one, four one. We've been four, on a losing streak prior to that. So yeah, I mean it was. We'd lost four one the previous week, hadn't we? So we'd yeah. had a good run of form in in November. Um, win at Aston Villa, Simod Cup, um, the the little lamented Simod Cup, but a great at West Ham. Which uh, we won two one, and then a couple of victories. So that, was our only, that was our only victory at Upton Park. Yeah, the only one, isn't it? And uh, it lingers long in the memory. And um, there's some great footage on YouTube, incidentally. Anyone that wants to tune into this stuff, because it's it is worth a look. Um, and you you know you touched on this Neil earlier on, how different football looked then. You know it it, it is a decisively different looking sport back in the eighties, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 23 in the league that season as well, because um, they were reorganising the their, the league. So the top flight that was Division One would reduce to 20 teams, so England could win the World Cup. That was the theory <laughs> behind it. Um, but you didn't we take which World Cup. I must have yeah, missed this that. Yeah, this is true. This is true. This is true. But um, I remember we played Arsenal in the cup and lost 2-0, didn't we? And they had that big story in the mirror about how we were going to nick the clock from the clock end. And I think that was the turning point in terms of hooliganism in the press, wasn't it? That people yeah. realised that, you know, it had gone overboard, you know, and it was kind of, people kind of rolled back a bit after that. So, you know, it was a bit, so much of an exaggeration. It's ridiculous. But... Yeah, at the time, it was like, you know, the football wasn't pretty. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you had Heysel, you had um, all the other things that had gone on at Bradford, and, you know, people were actually dying at football games. And yeah. it, it wasn't the same as it was now. You know, you hardly got any coverage on the TV. You know, you get a Bob Wilson after final score giving you a you know update of the many leagues and what was going on. But, you know, you were if you went to football, you were kind of looked like you had the coronavirus back then, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you, you were told to self-isolate and, you know, not come near anyone intelligent. Yeah, um, it was but, an unusual thing. Yeah. Um, I, I know when I used to go into work and say, you know, I've been to watch Millwall, you, you, you're right. I mean, it was like you said, you'd been to, um, you know, the, the, the kind of ninth circle of hell or somewhere, you know, and at times maybe the football did, did reflect well, that. <laughs> actually, at the time, um, where I went to school, there was lots of kids who suddenly became Wimbledon fans because they won the cup that year. They did. And... Um, you know, they all used to support Fulham and Chelsea and suddenly thought they were onto a good thing by switching their allegiance to Wimbledon. Um, and so, you know, it was it was it was a common thing for people to change clubs. And I remember it's like, all of a sudden my classes were just full of Wimbledon fans and you had Liverpool fans and what have you. But no one, you know, it was pretty much like today, actually. No one really supported lower league teams. So I kind of stuck out a bit. There's a few Brentford fans um, knocking around the school, etc. But, you know, it was like still like today in that sense that people would follow the big sides or the sides that were doing well. Um, but, you know, the fact that Wimbledon, you know, it's considered, you know, the greatest cup upset, which technically yeah. it wasn't, you know, just tells you the state of what football was in at the time that, you know, there was so little attention paid to it. The people thought this was a big upset, you know, completely forgetting that they'd beaten Liverpool and for the previous season. And, you know, had finished, you know, I think in the UEFA spot that year as well. So it was hardly... You know, the upsets of upsets, but, you know, because no one covered football, no one wanted to know, um, you know, we get, there was the Euros that year, wasn't it? You know, the European Championships. And, yeah. Uh, was that, it was um, not, that was the one in Germany and Germany, lost all yeah. the games, you know, there. Right. And, um, it, it, I don't know, there was a real negativity around the game, wasn't there? 
Absolutely, absolutely. How low did you, was your score in favour of Millwall or anyone else, Jim? Um, I think uh, it was me. Uh, it was a guy called Robert Robinson who I'm still friends with. He lived, he lived just around the corner from me when we both lived down Elkin Road, and I think that was it. Right, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that many. Uh, I went to school in the uh, in Belvedere, so uh, it was all Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I think people used to favour whoever was winning, but it is odd to look back at those times. Um, even the QPR game, I was watching some of the footage on League Cup, because QPR had a plastic pitch back then, didn't they? They had that... Um, you know, astroturf thing and and the shine of the of the floodlights on the pitch. You know, it's just it's just one one moment of many where you know, the quality of the pitches was poor. And we we just take so much as normal now that you know it's not until you look back was it thirty something years you realise how much has changed. You are listening to Achten Millwall. I said. there's a whole genre of football fights on the pitch in the 70s isn't there i mean the famous ones of um uh, Kevin Keegan and Billy Bremner in the in the charity shield, and there's Francis Lee brawling with um, another Leeds. I can't, was, it, was it Hunter, wasn't it? Um, Hunter, yeah. You know, and it was just like, oh, there's a fight going on. <laughs> separate them. They have a quick word in the area. You know, different attitudes. Oh, following following seasons when um, Arsenal Man United kicked off at Old Trafford, didn't they? And they got dot points because it was a 21 man brawl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, do you want to see that these days? But I think. Um, that was it. Danny well, Baker once said, you know, if the game's a boring nil-nil draw, the only thing that livens it up is a good, you know, is a 20, 22-man brawl in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> and I remember we played Man City once. Um, I think it's going to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen at the dead. It all kicked off, and you must remember this. This was in the 90s, but there was a Ooh. massive brawl. And, you know, from where we saw, you know, everyone's piling in. They watched the video highlights later. You see Lucas Neal and Sean Goer run, and they're late. 
And so they look at each other, push each other a bit, then burst out laughing. It's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen at a football game. Some wonderful games against Manchester City in the 90s. But we we are focused, gentlemen, on the 87-88 season. Um, and as Jim said earlier on, um, at, at Boxing Day, we won 4-1 at West Bromwich Albion. A hat-trick for Teddy Sheringham. And we haven't mentioned Teddy yet in our little um, consideration, but what a player he was. I thought we always looked like he had a touch of class about him, Jim, didn't you? I think Teddy always stood out for me. Um. Actually, I, I, some people you speak to actually thought he was quite a lazy old sod in his younger days. Well, he's in his younger days, but by the time we achieved this era, he was developing into the player he would he would become. But I think he had to go for a journey to get there, didn't he? And don't forget, before Cascarino come on the scenes, he, he was really competing with the likes of Michael Marks up front. Michael wasn't he? Marks. <laughs> it's a name. <laughs> I've forgotten him. <laughs> You forget these players, don't you? Um, but yeah, Hattrick for Teddy. And one thing that does stand out from the whole season is how many goals were concentrated in the hands of Cascarino and Sheringham. That was a wickedly powerful duo up front. 24 goals for Teddy at the end of the season and 23 goals for Cascarino. And the next highest scorer was... Um... Actually, it was, there'd be a question for you both. Who was the next highest scorer after Teddy with 24 and Cascarino, 23. No looking, Neil. And no looking, Jim. Who was the next highest scorer? I, I, I would say, say purely Kevin O'Callaghan on the amount of penalties we scored. What about you, Neil? No looking. I can tell you looking. <laughs> Neil? He's checking, isn't he? Oh, he sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> I was saying Kevin O'Callaghan <laughs> three times, and I wonder why no one was paying attention to me. But you, put, you put it on mute. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the next yeah. I will edit this. That's because I'm. <laughs> the, the thing was, I'm, I've got a cup of tea, so you know, I was taking a swig and didn't want to hear the. You know. No, it is Alan Walker. Alan Walker, oh, six goals. <laughs> Alan Walker is the next highest scorer with six, and then you've got um, George Lawrence, I think. Um, Actually, Alan Walker. Five. If you remember from the annuals, Nick, he was one mm. of the few Millwall players that would appear in shoot and magazines like that. And they had the sign here kind of things. Alan Walker was always the Millwall player. And must have a standard shot of him, mustn't they? Uh, yeah. You know. He used to inspire a lot of antagonism, Alan Walker. I, I remember, um, I'd never minded him personally, but um, a bit like Nicky Coleman would inspire a lot of venom um, from blokes around me on the halfway line. Ir- irrational, yeah. I felt at times, but maybe that's... I must that's... remember someone telling Nicky Coleman to push up when we were defending a corner. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, we're, we're, we're at Boxing Day and at that stage we are seventh in the table after that fine win. And then we followed it up with a win over um, Sheffield United with a rare goal. The only goal I think Robbie Cook ever scored for us. He was, he was signed on, on loan. Was, was, was Cascarino injured or something from memory? Um, and then the, the form kind of dipped again a little bit didn't it I mean it was it was in different form really going into in, into February yeah it was um it was the league no one seemed to want to win I mean because yeah. we were third fourth you know we were in the playoffs I was saying to my dad you know we could make the playoffs this year um and he said he would rather get promotion because 
quite wisely he said, you know, playoffs are such a lottery, as it proved with Millwall. Yeah, but, you know, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, as, you know, as I mentioned previously, you had Aston Villa, who um, failed to win any of their last few games when they seemed to be flying. You had Blackburn, who kind of faded away. And um, Bradford City, obviously, you know, who's in the top two all season. And then um, ended up in the playoffs. So it was like there had loads of clubs there that could have won it. Um, but for some reason, whether it was the jitters or whatever, just suddenly fell away. And we, we we joined in this run of form. Do you remember Ian Orman droid, Jim? Oh, uh, oh, yeah, that was great. Droid. Ian, to give his full name, Ian Orman droid 94. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, his, his main skill was being very, very tall. But we lost at Bradford on the 6th of February 1988, which left us fifth. And that was thanks to an Orman droid or hemorrhoid, as he was got called when I, when I was... Uh, uh, that game, Ian Hemorrhoid, uh, 89th minute goal by him, and another loss the week after at Birmingham. Um, now, now, with, let me with, just stop with you. Ian mm. Hemorrhoid's goal, what did that stop Millwall from doing that year? Neil, this one for you. I do know, know this. I, I do did, know this one. Did, was it I know some, this one. Was it a qualification for the... Um, was there a football league trophy of some sort going on at Wembley? Yeah, it, it was the century. It was credit classic at Wembley that oh. if we had game we would have been at Wembley in April. I had a ticket to go to that because they, they invited eight teams along to it, didn't they? It was a, mm. They had Wembley divided into eight sections, which included Leeds, Wolves, um, Crystal Palace, I think, were there. And my mate who worked for the bank, Barclays, was sponsoring the, um, the league that season. I, he got me a ticket to go to it. So I went to that event at, at Wembley and it was the most bizarre event. And in some ways, all I could picture was the mayhem that would have ensued if Millward got there because it, you had you had the, the Leeds section and the Wolves section and I can't remember who else now, and you'd have had us milling around in the kind of um, the, the, the kind of milling areas at Wembley, and you said what would have happened? It would have been absolute carnage there if we'd have gone alongside. So I think maybe. Hard way to look at it, Jim, but maybe Ormond Droid's gold is a favour, to be honest. We might not have got into the first division at all. We'd have been banned from football after that. And, and the other thing about that Bradford game, I was re- when I was reading the, uh, doing the massive research that we do when we do these podcasts. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. Was, um, <laughs> that, that Reg Burr was complaining about the media reporting the trouble from the Arsenal game. <laughs> but he did go on to say, please don't throw your coins. Buy lottery tickets from Billy Neal if you have any spare change. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I mean, on that point, I mean, he's, he's making a good point there. I was just digging out some old newspaper reports of the time, which there weren't that many, but it's, it's relentless. As soon as we, we got anywhere close to success, it's interesting how the articles relate really only to um, trouble and possibility of trouble or the, the, the fact the club have got past trouble. Um it's, it's like relentlessly the only subject in town. So no, there is nothing new in this world, is there? I mean, as no. it was in 1988, so it is in 2020. It's the only subject that people want to talk about with Millwall, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there we are. So those, we, we, the, the, the run towards promotion began really with a win at Reading, um, a 3-2 win on the 13th of February, 1988. Um, that was a win at, that would be at Elm Park. Did you ever go to Elm Park, Jim? Does, does everyone remember the spanner a few years later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Elm Park, right, I got it back. I got it back. To... I got my spanner back. Oh, you had a spanner there. Yeah, it was my dad's. 
It, it slipped. It slipped out of my hand. <laughs> Officer. Officer. A 3 2 win in front of 6,000 at Elm Park. Um, we were 2 0 goals... down in that game, weren't we? 2 1. 2 1 behind at half time. Yeah. 2 1, uh, yeah, because they were in relegation trouble. Because um, we were, at, you know, synonymous with Millwall. We were absolutely awful against the lower league teams. Yeah. I mean, we, we lost to Huddersfield, who won six games all season and conceded 100 goals. You know, it's ridiculous. I know. Tate, um, I can't remember his first name, Tate for Reading on 22. An equaliser by Terry Herlock. Um, and then Sheringham, after the break, 46 and 50 minutes, gave us the win at, at, uh, at Reading. Um, I remember that. I remember that win because my daughter's my daughter was born that day, and I was at uh, Queen Mary's Hospital in Sidcup. And I used to have um, on call the phone. yourself a fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got a text message through, and I remember kind of trying to surreptitiously check the result <laughs> um, whilst whilst childbirth was taking in front of my my eyes. You know, um, modern man, modern dad. There we are. And that Reading, that Reading away game, you know, that was the first ever Junior Lions away day. Was it? This, yeah, this is the detail. This is the detail we want, Jim. Forty-two Junior Lions went on the official Junior Lions away day trip that game. And they saw a spanner thrown on the pitch. <laughs> no, the spanner was a few years later. No, the spanner was later. Yeah. <laughs> and then a draw, a moderate draw after a good win at Reading, a moderate draw at home to Oldham, um, Cascarino. Um, we, we pegged back there. We took the lead through Cass and then um, an 81st minute equaliser, which would have been disappointing. It left us fourth in the table at that stage. Um, I think we're probably all really hoping rather than expecting playoff football. And, and as you said earlier on, it was an unusual league that season. It was a 23 team league, wasn't it? So well, they, they were changing the size of the first division, as memory serves. Yeah, as I said, so England would win the World Cup. Um, so we've been the World Cup. Yeah. yeah, they were reducing it to 20, because they're saying 22 was too much. Um, so this was one of the seasons where the, uh, Division 2 had the, uh, 23, and so did Division 3, I think. Um, and they were kind of adjusting it. That's why only technically two people went down automatically, and the team that finished third went into the playoffs. And as, as a result, all three went down that season. So One team each. One team had a, had a, had a rest day, didn't they, each, each, yeah. uh, uh, through the league. Um, so, yeah, win uh, a draw against Oldham and then a win at Swindon, a Cascarino goal. Um, Shrewsbury nil-nil. I don't remember that game at all. That was an away game. I don't remember that at all. I do remember the one-all draw at home to Crystal Palace, um, which... Which was a late, late, late equaliser. Um, Jim Cannon, did he handball it in the net? It was handball. He pushed it with his hand. <laughs> the, the mate of mine who worked for Barclays, he got free tickets. Um, he's a Crystal Palace fan. and um, But unused to the raucous nature of the den, shall we say. Um, and uh, he had tickets for the for game. So he said, do you want to come? I've got a ticket for the, for the seats. So I said, yeah, I'll come along. I would have gone anyway. And we were actually right in line with the, the corner flag on the, on the cold blow lane end. So as the ball kind of arced in and then and, um, Cannon handballed it into the net, the blokes around us just did their nut. It was like, fucking this, fucking handball, fucking this. Yeah, it was like, you know, you can imagine the kind of, um, to what to us is quite normal, 
but to him was like um, he, he just looked into like the lunatic asylum and was or found himself in the middle of the lunatic asylum. He, he came out ashen faced. He didn't dare make any noise of celebration or anything of that kind. So I think he was quite taken aback by the sight. He was un, unused to um, raw, red raw meat at the den. Put it that way. It was Amble. Do you think it was Amble, Neil? Did you see that? Let it go, Jim. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> All these years later, it was Amble. And then some good wins um, after the disappointment of Crystal Palace. Um, there's some good old referee names in here, actually. M. Bodenham, I've forgotten that name. And, and then um, I'm seeing Lester Shapter um, further down the list yet. So we'll come on to Lester Shapter. I've forgotten his name. Um, but wins over, um, over, over Huddersfield, 4-1 at home. I missed that uh, guy. Did you? I did. I was I was on a school trip off to Anglesey in North Wales, and we had to leave on that Saturday. So mm. uh, I think I found the result at about eleven o'clock that Saturday night. You missed you missed two goals for Teddy, a second minute goal, sixty third. I missed the goal from Dean Horrocks. Yeah, Horrocks, seventy um, ninth minute, and a, a Cascarino six minute strike in there as well. So um, that was in front of um, six thousand people. We were on a promotion push to the first division. We drew six thousand one hundred eighty-nine people to the den. Um, that was a that was a Saturday game. We weren't actually, yeah, we weren't actually drawing more than six thousand all the way no. through. I think the the where it started going up was after we beat uh, Leeds in yeah. the midweek game. Because um, I, think I think yeah. There was still a slight sense of, of, of unreality about it, I think, at this point. Well, we, it was our turn to skip a game. So, and then there was FA Cup. So we didn't play for nearly uh, three weeks That's right. um, after the Huddersfield game. And then we had yeah. Villa. So I think that was partly to blame for the, um, you know, the people fall out, of, yeah, fall out of the habit of going to football, don't they? Um, I do, I do, I do. And I, certainly there's a gap, you're right. Um, this is one of the reasons why this isn't one of my favourite seasons, by the way. For that reason. Well, a... my um, my dad stopped going. So I was at where I was going at school at the time. Mm. Um, I was in the rugby team. So the first part of the season, apart from the early games. So I, I remember going to the late Orient game. I couldn't go on a Saturday. Um, and then after the season stopped, that was the year of my GCSEs as well. Right. Um, and there, there's a really painful story about the Blackburn game, which I'll go into later. But um, my dad actually stopped going. He actually stopped going. And my mum, because of all the trouble that happened previous season, refused to let me go on my own. Right. Um, so I was in a bit of limbo. And it wasn't until the Leeds game that I finally got him to say, you know, I need to go to these games, basically. Um, so I missed quite a lot of the season as a result of that. There's a combination of things, a combination of having to play rugby for the school. Um, yeah. And then, um, obviously, who the GCSEs and revision, what have you. But, um, yeah, mainly it was because my dad just stopped going to football. Um, but it stopped, stopped really going about 84. Um, it, it kind of fallen out of love with the game. It's funny, isn't it? Um, have you ever stopped going, Jim? I know going to Australia has put, put the guy bush on it a bit for you. But did you ever, <laughs> did you have any, any fallow periods following uh-huh. the war back in the day? I think uh, when I think in the early 80s, I you know when I was 10, 11, and obviously Dad decided he'd much rather watch World of Sport or Grandstand or whatever. <laughs> there was probably some kind of like aerobatic or you know aerobatic plane flying or something that was on telly. That yeah. Monster trucks they used to have sometimes. Yeah. There was also you know it got said X Spectrum, so you start playing computer games and things like that. Uh, I, but 
it was yeah. also, you know, it was also funny enough. It was a period where um, I just started getting into music as well. So I remember going to a lot of gigs during the week, um, but I wasn't allowed to go to football. It's very weird. I can't so, go to a gig. I can go to football. I'm such thinking back now. I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking of what a stupid idiot I was. <laughs> I I when I didn't go was the uh, 89-90 season. Right. Uh, okay. Relegation. I saw yeah. Christmas and then um, I moved up to Blackpool in Lancashire for from in January for the so I missed virtually every home game of the relegation season from the first division, but managed to get to you know, the away games. Like yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like life, life can sometimes in, intrude in, in ways that you can't quite anticipate. I, I think in the early 80s, I mean, I, we were third division and, and drifting. I remember not going very much. I don't think I ever completely stopped going. Um, but some seasons, um, like 80, 85, 86, I think there was a there was a ticket restriction on. You had to go and get your tickets before you could go. And there was a, it just it was designed to make it difficult to go. Yeah. I remember the the seventy nine eighty season, which I mentioned earlier. I went every home game apart from one when yeah. I was ill with my dad yeah. and granddad, and then he obviously passed away in nineteen eighty, and I think that affected my dad going as well. Yeah. But you know, we would go maybe three, four games a season. But I remember the was it eighty four, eighty five? I think we only went to one, and that's the fewest Millwall games I've been to a season. Yeah, um, at the time, I was only about twelve, yeah. thirteen, so I wouldn't have gone on my own. Because um, obviously I had to come from East London, South London, and what have you. You had to, yeah, other issues going on in the world back then, and you know, yeah, to take yeah. into consideration. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of a weird time for football. People just stopped going, didn't they? Yeah, they made it difficult. I remember there was mm. there was ticket. I mean, if you look at the crowd numbers, the average crowds on the Millwall History website, which is always worth a look, a look at, listeners, if you ever want to check anything out on, on Millwall History. But the the average crowds for a couple of those seasons were really very low because they had these ticket restrictions. I, I don't think I went for there was one. I think it was 80, the eighty five, eighty six. I don't think I went hardly at all that year and the only time I started going back regularly normally was with the excitement at the start of this season maybe that's why it's one of my favourites because I'd kind of resumed and it was a successful season and I've been going ever since really ever, ever since that time um, regularly um, but yeah you're right and there was a break and then we come on to the real um, the running had a strong squad but you could never tell how strong they were until they were put to the test and they have been put to the test this year with the amount of injuries we've had and they've come up trumps and we're in there with a great chance and we've got it all to do but it's in our own hands four games at home against uh, teams such as Aston Villa and Blackburn which are real six pointers and three away games including Leeds so it's difficult but uh, not insurmountable. A win over Aston Villa. They were promotion contenders at the time. Um, we beat them at home in front of 13,697 on the 2nd of April. 2-1 win. Refereed by Lester Shapser, who was, was a famous name. Goal from uh, uh, an underrated... Well, I say he was underrated. He was player of the season. Danny Salman, uh, 30 minutes, and Teddy Shering, 150. Um, Danny Salman was a, one of those unsung heroes in many ways at Mill, wasn't he? He was... Uh, a John Doherty acquisition from Brentford and was not the most talented of blokes, but gave you everything. I'm, it reminds me in some ways of a 
of like a Murray Wallace in some ways. You know, he had his limitations, but he gave everything he, he had to give. Yeah, not much yeah. else to add to that, really, was there? I mean, I think everyone was surprised he got player of season that year. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's an unusual choice, really. I mean, um, you'd have thought the glamour boys, Sheringham and Cascarino, would have got it. But no player of the season was voted in as, as Danny Salman that that year. Um, to be honest, you should never take much notice of Millwall's player of the season. <laughs> David Livermore. David Livermore, that was... That was there's, there's, um, there's, Tony Warner, the season he conceded six against Royal United. Come on, what's going on, people? I'm watching the current series of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's got, uh, uh, Larry Davies got this thing. He's opened up a coffee shop next door to another coffee shop that's slighted him in some way. And he's opened it up to what he calls a spite store. So, and that was a spite vote, wasn't it, to get <laughs> Livermore in us as a player of the season. as a spite vote. <laughs> A Larry David style spite vote. I know someone who genuinely voted for David Livermore because they thought he was the best player of the season. Well, he wasn't the best player. I, I don't think it was as bad as people carved him out to be. He was not the. Um, he, yeah, he, he was just. He, he, was he wasn't the, as incompetent as he made. They yeah. became a convenient, um, you know, a, 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 like a dolly that you pip, stick pins into that yeah. people that need at the den. They, you have to have one player like that, don't we? The peg um, everyone could hang their heels on. Doing a very yeah. bad time, yeah. Here's a win, uh, Jim. Leeds United away, 1 2 1. Um, Cascarino. Uh, I watched the highlights on DVD earlier today of this yeah. game. I was going to say, I remember that because that was on, I think it was midweek sports special. Yeah. They showed the highlights, and I remember that was the game everyone started believing, you know, that, uh, because Leeds were, that, that ended Leeds' promotion hopes. Because, I think it um, did. Yeah. I think it also, if I'm right, ended Billy Bremner's managerial career at Leeds um, because he'd got into the playoffs the season before and they'd lost to Charlton after a replay. Um, and they were expected to go straight up um, as a result and they just had a dreadful season. The win at Leeds, and it did. you're right, it, the, the, it, there was a certain sense that, wow, now it's actually happening because the following home game was at home to Plymouth Argyle and that was played in front of 11,000, which was a pretty, pretty decent crowd at the den. Um, That's the game I convinced my dad I'm going, whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, we've... Where I'm convinced Teddy Sheringham scored an overhead kick from the edge of the penalty box and no one else remembers it. I don't remember that. <laughs> front of the Union Road. All, you remember all the goals came in the first 25 minutes of that game? Yeah, well, in fact, the, the, the Millwall goals, I'm just looking at it now, Jim. Um, it's a 3-2 win, listeners. Uh, at home in front of a decent 11,000 crowd that gives you the measure of the times it put us top of the table we've gone we've gone top of the table this win so we have a, a, a Kevin O'Callaghan eighth minute penalty and he was a good penalty taker Kevin O'Callaghan he they scored to... they scored in the first minute didn't they they did yeah they went one up uh, yeah. yeah yeah you're right so, yeah Hodges scored in the second minute showing us number two on here then we've gone we've equalised on eight minutes um, Cascarino on ten minutes um, three one to share with sharing them on thirteen minutes. Over a kick, was, apparently. Over a kick, from the edge of the penalty area. <laughs> Not only wasn't it from the edge of the penalty box, I'm sure it was on the corner of the penalty box. That's how. I, from the corner. I'm. I'm going to put this to. I'm you know, this, to I've, I've, this is coming back to me. The reason <laughs> I've, I've got. No, I remember games from the seventies. I remember games from the early eighties, like the the Grimsby Town fiasco. But I have no memory of the games from this season, and it's really weird. Um, I remember you know, you know me in my memory, yeah. I remember, you know, going to the games, but I don't remember the goals. But now he said that, it's kind of filtering back to me like I've hidden it and just 
suppressed it. Ilderton Road end it was. It's got to be one for the listeners. Mm. Can, do you remember this from the corner of the penalty area, an overhead kick from Teddy Sheringham at the Ilderton Road end? Were it you was, there? Did you see it? Overhead kick or a, like a, a high bicycle kick. <laughs> do you remember it? I think it was a bicycle kick. Yeah, a high I think bicycle. It was a bicycle kick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see what we'll, we'll, we'll share the feedback when we get that. So that was a 3 2 win. Top of the table, chaps. We're now top of the table at the start of April. Um, and then another legendary result, which I think oh. I think it was dreamland at this point because suddenly you did think this really is it, you know. Um, a 2 1 win at Bournemouth, the old Bournemouth Dean Court, not the mm-hmm. not the modern rebuilt version. Um, I didn't, did well, you go we, to on the TV? It, yeah, it was very murky television coverage as well. You so they, um, they they broadcasted it back to the den, didn't they? Yeah, yeah on, it, on a closed yeah. den, didn't they? Chuck down with rain down at Millwall. Yeah. <laughs> 9,000 at Dean Court. Um, a good few Millwall in there. Um, again, a, an O'Callaghan penalty uh, on 10 minutes and then Herlock uh, goal on 23rd. And Tony Pullis scored for Bournemouth that day uh, in 28 minutes. The game where I I think I believed, um, I, I, was, I, was, it, I think I was still probably thinking it could all go wrong because we're Millwall fans, aren't we? And you know it all goes wrong in the end. <clears throat> but the game where I thought this is not going to go wrong was the win. Hull City. <laughs> no, not that one. No, Stoke City. Stoke City yeah. on 30th of April. Hang, um, hang on. Can, can we just mention, before we go on to that game, can we just mention... Bournemouth away, Horns penalty save. Oh God, yeah, yeah, no, good point, good point. That was that was like a low diving save to his left. I believe. Uh, that, are you mentioning the actual penalty save? Or are you mentioning Stu from the Mesa side? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, hello, Stu, if you're listening. But no, no, it's Horns <laughs> penalty save. And and I don't know if you've ever noticed that he saves it. He's clutched it to his chest, and half a dozen Millwall players have run up to him, all mm. patted the ball with their hands. Handball. <laughs> 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 what a keeper he was! He was um, quite a small stay, uh, statue. Not now. He, yeah, he was six, six foot. But um, yeah, he was six foot. Yeah, but he, he used to get lobbed quite a lot. Yeah, he did. He used he to get lobbed quite a lot. Um, he's, he's put some put some timber on there, Brian, mm. but you know, um, but he was a great goalkeeper. And um, in fact, there's a there's a there's a question. What was the only game that Brian Hall didn't start that season without looking? Well, there's one game he, he didn't start. Otherwise, it was ever present for the whole season. Barnsley. Barnsley. Oh, yeah. Barnsley, 4 1 away Sanson. when we lost. Yeah. Paul Sanson went in goal. We got yeah. beat 4 1. So there's, that, that's what happens when you drop Brian Hall that season. Um, he Sanson. Was injured, wasn't he? Was he injured or was he suspended? Must have been. Must have been. There's no other reason not for him not to have played yeah. him. Must have been something of that kind. Um, Stoke City 2. Uh, Stoke Mill 2. Stoke City 0. I remember that one. That was a really good performance. You know, yeah. that was that was a good, you know, a really good. I remember, you know, we were in command, although, you know, we hadn't scored, we were in command of that game from start 12, to finish. 12,000, I was on the halfway line. My memory, uh, I remember winning. My memory, and I can picture it now in my mind's eye, that when we, we, we went 2-0 um, up, and I remember uh, Herlock turning to Briley in midfield, and there was this kind of handshake between them. Uh, the game was still active, still going on, but there's like this moment that you think, Wow, this 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 really is it's happening. They're believing it themselves now, and promotion seemed just within a, a you know a, just a touching distance away, um, which was of course achieved um, the following week at Hull City, 
Millwall won Hull City nil up there at um, that was Boothbury Park, wasn't it? The old stadium. It was, yeah. It was, it was falling down that stadium, wasn't it? it was, even then, it was windswept. I remember, yeah, yeah, that was on the the bank holiday Monday because it was Easter, wasn't it? No, it was the May Day, not bank, uh, Easter. It was May Day. Yeah, I had to. Um, follow, I, I couldn't make it. With uh, uh, my daughter had not been born, mm. and there was there was various reasons which I won't go into. And yeah, I couldn't get up to Hull. Um, I was looking after baby, um, trying to follow it on the radar. You, you had no twenty four seven news reporting of sports back yeah. there, especially on a bank holiday Monday, and um, you just had like a results show and Radio Two mm. at the end of the afternoon. Final, uh, final score, final score on the BBC was actually that's how I picked up the result because I didn't go to Hull. No, the, the final score where they did all the football results, and then um, I think Gerald Sinstead, 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 yeah, yeah, he yeah. did the report from uh, from Boothbury Park. Yeah, and I remember it must have been the same report I heard because I've, I've got baby in one arm, I've been feeding her and all, and all sorts of that in the afternoon and keeping track of various other family situations that are going on. And then put the radio on to get the final score, and it must have been the same repulsion because I had to kind of, you know, when the, the hair stand up on the back of your neck, Millwood won 1 0, and the line said something like, Mill win and are promoted as champions. I thought, what? Yeah, we were. Yes, because I was for promoted, let alone win the league, you know, because we won the league there, didn't we? Because of other, yeah. other results. It's because everyone behind us, they they just, yeah. Um, well, Bradford was second and then managed to lose at home. Um, yeah. And then kind of Villa drew as well, uh, which meant uh, we were champions. We had a four point. We couldn't be leapfrogged. Um, but I remember Borough second. So on the final day of the season, three teams could have joined us. And uh, both Borough, uh, sorry, Bradford and Villa both lost. And Middlesbrough drew to go up on goal scored. Yeah. they were both level on goal difference. It was that tight. Yeah. Um, so I, I celebrate. Everyone's wondering how I celebrated uh, promotion to the top flight for the first time in our history. It was by holding my daughter up in like like a, like a kind of a pagan hold your child to the sun type of um, <laughs> moment in our back garden in Orpington at the mm. time. <laughs> That's where the Lion King got it from. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to the sun. You know. Yeah. Um, I remember what, getting all the newspaper clippings the following day. You know, yeah. With the pictures in the dressing room, hundred and three years and up. You know things like that. They were they went to town in the tabloids the following day. I've got, I've still got the scrapbook somewhere. I think it's in the loft. But uh, yeah, so I've got all the original newspaper cuttings as well. Amazing days. I, I remember going out that night, and uh, I think I, my good friend was an Arsenal supporter, who who was an Arsenal supporter that used to did go off as well. And uh, I remember yeah. going out again. We're playing you next year. <laughs> <laughs> but we're playing properly in the league game, not not in a random cup competition or anything. It was just we're going to it's Highbury incredible. and we're going to big grounds next year. You know. So I've just got one little report. I'll just read a little bit of it out here. Um, this is from uh, I think it's one of the Irish newspapers reporting the day's uh, result at um, uh, at, uh, at, at Hull City. But the headline is a little piece of history for O'Callaghan and Millwall. Former Irish international winger Kevin O'Callaghan scored the penalty that gave Millwall a place in the top flight for the first time in their history yesterday and watched as his former club Portsmouth made the trip in the opposite direction thanks to a 2 1 defeat by Newcastle at Fratton Park. Uh, Mill sealed their promotion from Division 2 with a 1 0 victory um, and it's thanks to his 11th minute penalty. Um, and then, as a, obviously, we will, with that secured, we went on to the Perhaps the biggest anti-climax, I think, in Mill history. Would you agree, Jim? The the following week, the last game of the season. Did anyone Black, count? Blackburn Rovers. 
It was the biggest anticlimax of my life. It was an incredibly um, flat day in some ways, wasn't it? it was typical Do you know what? Um, I had I had a few things. I had my this would make a lot. I had my first exam, I think, the week after. So my parents didn't want me to go anyway. Right. It was my um, Scottish O level French exam, which is a joke in itself. But um, right. my dad promised to get tickets because it was an all ticket game, wasn't it? It was and fifteen thousand. And yeah. he promised, yeah, he promised to get tickets. He said, yeah, it's fine. I'm going to get tickets. And he went. He just happened to be working with someone who was on the board of directors of Millwall at the time. He said, yeah, yeah, I've spoken to him. I've got tickets. I've got tickets. Anyway, on the Friday, he said, oh, I couldn't get the tickets. And the reason why I didn't get the tickets was that on the Saturday, my cousin was born. And um, it was uh, his brother's first child and complications, etc. You know, yeah. um, to cut a long story short, he didn't want to go to the game, you know. So, but, you know, he lied to me, basically. And um, I was absolutely <laughs> <In> heartbroken. <laughs> And for years afterwards, I held a grudge. Uh, just leave it Because my grand never used to always say, oh, your cousin was born the day Mill lifted the trophy. And then the first thing that came from my mind was, yeah, my dad didn't fucking take me because he was born on that day. <laughs> but when we got to Wembley, the auto windscreen tr- uh, shield, he expected me to get him a ticket. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get you a ticket. And then I went, I didn't get you a ticket. That's for 1988. <laughs> That's how long I held that grudge. I Revenge served cold. Well, ironically, <laughs> the following summer, um, I worked at the firm where this bloke was working, and it's like it was at the start of the season. So uh, we played Wimbledon. Uh, don't remember that we drew two two. Plow Lane. The season we went down. I think we were top. Um, we were top at the time. But um, the following day, I saw this director, and we were talking about the game, and he went, "Oh yeah, I remember. You know the, the you know the, the Blackburn game. I've got your dad two tickets, and he never took them." And I thought, you fucking bastard. <laughs> it was, uh, and I, I was, that, that's why I hate this season, because, you know, I, sh- I should have been there to see the trophy. And for whatever reason, I got let down. And um, after that, I used to, um, so when we went up, I used to, after the rugby I used to go get the six of myself. So when we played Liverpool in the cup, I went after school in my school uniform, you know, you go down there, get the tickets. I never relied yeah. on anyone else getting tickets again, because, you know, you, you learn the hard way. You do. You were there, Jim, that day, Blackburn? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just rub it in. <laughs> I, I was there. You, you didn't miss much. I mean, it was. I say you didn't miss much. You missed the moment where the teams were presented with a trophy. And there is video of this on, on YouTube. It's, it's, it's not difficult to find it. It was a great day. Um, I don't know about you, Jim, but it, it's, it's quite... Um, it's you know nostalgia or whatever you want to call it, but it is it is quite emotional when you look at it because football looks different. The the players are in their in their youth in some cases, and you know it just takes you back to another I don't know different time in in your life when you see this stuff. But I think they had been on the sauce all week, hadn't they? I don't think they'd done any training or anything. I think they were drunk and during the game as well, apparently. <laughs> Blackburn winning meant Palace didn't go up. Well, yeah. Should make four weeks ago. Palace, Palace needed us to beat Blackburn to qualify for the playoffs. But yeah, four four one. Um, it was it was an anti climax, but in the end, it it was the lifting of the trophy. And um, I don't think anyone cared really, did they? No, no one, who, no one cared. Um, uh, I just thought uh, as a Nick, what did the uh, what was the chant going around the ground that day? Oh blimey! Um, you have to remind me, Jim. Sorry. It was. We fucked it up for Palace. <laughs> we fucked it up for Palace. Maybe we finish off the game, the show today with I'm that. Not, 
I remember um, Paul Neve uh, when he was yeah, doing Hoss. I remember he was yeah. saying they were in a pub after the game and um, they put Glad all over on. They parked by them and they were singing Sad all over. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> I want to I want to finish the season by just reading out the names of the team that concluded that season because each one is a classic Millwall name. We've, we've mentioned Brian Hall in goal. Um, Keith Stevens, um, what a servant to the, the club he was both as a player and, and as a manager, a member of that of that promotion winning team, Keith Stevens. Um Nicky Coleman played that in that you know, uh, that final team. Um was he left back? He was left back because Rhino was a right yeah, back, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Terry Herlock, um I mean it's a cliche to say, but he was a very, very good footballer as well as being a, the archetypal hard man in midfield. I mean, when you see some of the, the clips, um, he had a deft touch and he, he, was, he, was, he actually could score a goal. He, he, was a, he, was, he was an all-round football in ways that he probably wasn't given credit for at the time. Steve Wood. What a solid centre-half he, uh, centre he was, wasn't he? Steve Wood. Um, aside from Reading um, earlier on in the season. And another long ser- servant, uh, underrated player in many respects, Alan McCleary. Um Again, he seemed to um, inspire kind of strong feelings around people. But I, I never knew why. He always seemed to give everything out to give, McCleary. He wasn't mm. as bad a player as some like to make out. Um, it's because um, that Celtic transfer, do you remember that? When he was going to go to Celtic, when he didn't they, go to Celtic. They were interested yeah. in him, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. He was always on the brink of leaving. Went Charlton after him at one point as well. He um, ended up at Charlton, yeah. He ended mm. up at Charlton, didn't he? No. He did end up, yeah, he did end up at Charlton. Yeah. Yeah. In the end he did, but not yeah. at the time. Jimmy Carter, um, we mentioned, um, bought for just 15,000. He would eventually go on to leave us to, to um, Liverpool and Arsenal a couple of years later when the when the wheels came off in the first division campaign. But um, very dangerous winger um, and probably came to his, you know, probably really came to his best in the first division season that followed. But he was always a always a, the kind of player when he got the ball, Jimmy Carter, that you set up, didn't you? He's one of those... He had a touch of the Paul Ifield. Was that you knew something was going to happen when Jimmy Carter got the ball on the wing. Um, a player that I do want to mention, if I may, boys, is um, Les Briley in midfield. So obviously, always people refer to Herlock as the iconic Millwall midfielder, and of course he was. But Les Briley, alongside him, he, he needed his Briley to be the Terry Herlock, didn't he? A very underrated midfielder. Yeah, he was. Um, do you get a lot of midfielders like Les Briley? You know, very unsung, always looked older than they actually were. Yeah. Uh, but kind of, you know, always did jobs for teams and would always kind of progress through the lower leagues. Um, yeah, he was kind of, there's, we've lost that kind of player from uh, football these days. You know, very kind of honest journeyman bro who, you know, in other seasons maybe would have picked up the odd international cap as well. Was it Hereford he came from originally? Was it, uh, I think it's Wimbledon, wasn't it? Wimbledon player. Was he? LC, all the shot. Been all the shot. I'm just yeah. looking at the same same um, sheet here, Jim. Um, 225 appearances for Millwall uh, and 13 goals. Yeah, some odd, oh. um, I'm surprised how many appearances David Byrne and um, Alan Walker actually made that season. Yeah. Right. 14 goals as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's 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 um, you know that, that's 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 a contribution. But Alan Walker made. 30, 34 appearances that mm. season. That's, that's, yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Quite a lot, yeah. Um, but um, 
even though just looking down, you know, Dave Mebbit even made an appearance. He did. So there's, a, there's a throwback to 79, 80 again with yeah. his ginger hair. He, uh, Bridie, please, I never saw him again. <laughs> well, Bridie must have. Bridie was on the bench that day, and um, he must have must have lacked fitness or something. I don't know, but he came mm. into the game in 28 minutes. Maybe Mebbit left injured or something that day, but. Um, yeah, there's a throwback to the old days. So we've mentioned Les- Teddy Sheringham we've touched on already. Um, he will go on in later career to travel to places like uh, Forest, Spurs, Manchester United, where he would win the lot, wouldn't he, in, in 1999, the treble. Um, Cascarino, Tony Cascarino, um, top scorer. 24 goals that season. 23 what, goals. 23, one sorry. Less, one less than Sheringham. One less than Sheringham. Sheringham. Yeah. Apologies. 23, just one behind um, Sheringham. But a, a good contribution. But he never quite went on to the success that I thought he might have done. He went to Villa, didn't he, when he left us? Um, and I don't know. Was you say he drifted after Millwall? That was, that was the high point of his career in many respects. Uh, no, you had a kind of Indian summer when he went to France, didn't he? He played for Marseille yeah. and a few other clubs and was banging them in in French football. Uh, yeah. I think you had to play to his strengths for, in order for him to actually succeed. And Villa just saw him as a target man. I don't think he was a target man per se, but his build and height suggested he was. Um, and, you know, he was a lot better on the deck than people gave him credit for. But, um, you know, he went to Chelsea and got them into the cup final, etc. cetera. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's an odd one. Um, I was never a real fan of Cascarino, I must admit. No, you know- well... Were I you was watching the highlights of, you know, of this season, and he missed so many chances. Really did miss loads of chances. I was quite surprised because, you know, tw- someone to score 23 goals, you think they're prolific. But honestly, he should have had 30, 35 with the chances he missed this season. And, and they were simple one-on-ones as well. So maybe that's, you know, old age plays tricks. You remember, you remember the good times, but he missed a hell of a lot of chances. Yeah, he was the Lee Gregory of his time. Just looking at his <laughs> Lee Gregory of his day, I, I was going to compare him with Matt Smith, but um, just looking at his his career record, I mean, he, you're right, he prospered at, at Gillingham. Obviously, he came to us from Gillingham, famously for um, was it? A, oh no, it's Crock and Hill that got a set of um tracksuits, wasn't Tra- it? Tracks, got... tracksuits and um, corrugated iron. Through his, his signature. So, 219 appearances for Gillingham, 78 goals for them. Then, one of his best returns, really, for Mill, 105 appearances with 42 goals over three, three years with us. Um, less so at Villa, 43 appearances, 11 goals. Celtic never really took off there, 18 appearances, four goals. Chelsea struggled, 40 appearances, eight goals. Then you're right, Neil. I mean, it really came came to like probably his best period, really. Marseille, 84 appearances, 61 goals. That's an incredible hit rate, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I, th- um, I think that was the French second division, though. They got relegated um, due to the um, oh corruption. the taxation. Yeah, yeah, the corruption. So they were in the, the lower league. So he wasn't playing against great opposition, but you've still got to put him in the back of the net, haven't you? So. 61 goals from 84 starts, um, and then 97 to 2000, his, his career was at very much on the back end then uh, for Nancy, uh 44 goals from 109 starts. Um, and I think by that stage... He that's was, that's he was... not a bad return, though, is it? Um, I remember no, uh, no. TLR years ago, they were doing you know, 
they, they did a feature on who Mill should sign strikers. Funny enough, they gave Paul Wilkerson three stars as a Millwall player and Paul Shaw two stars. And I think Paul Shaw was the biggest hit. But, um, yeah. you know, a good return for a striker is usually about uh, one goal every three games, which he's above that with Nancy. Um, you know, and he's around that mark throughout his career, apart from Marseille and Millwall. You know, one in two is an excellent strike rate. But, you know, if you've got a striker who scores one every three goals, you know, it's not a bad return. Oh, sorry, one goal every three games. That's not a bad return. No, no. I mean, I, I like Cascarino. Did you like him, Jim? Did you um, t- take to him? Yeah, no. I, don't, yeah, I mean, I turned to him, but I just, I say, I, you know, I just completely forgotten of all the misses. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, d- I didn't want to him, yeah. Do a job and he did the job. And I, I, and also, you, you have a look on the highlights and you see that Sheringham was more of a target man than Cascarino. Yeah. Then finally, we've got Kevin O'Callaghan, <clears throat> we've mentioned. And two players on the substitutes bench. I just want to mention Darren Morgan. Who I was like, he never he never seemed to get his chance somehow, Darren Morgan. But I always liked it when he did get his chance. Um, very small player, wasn't he, Darren, the midfielder? Um, he, he was an absolute midget. I, yeah. I kind of, he's one of the few footballers I can never work out how he made it as a professional footballer. He it's quite, was just, it's quite skillful, but he was very, very small. That, that, he that was... He was, he was you know, so small, he'd easily get knocked off the ball. Now, you can understand, you know, that's probably a bit harsh, actually. But, in, you know, you've got to put it in the context of the football that was being played at the time. I think, you know, he probably would have prospered in today's game. But if you think of someone like Brian Flynn, who was a tricky, who was smaller than Darren Morgan, really tricky winger. But Darren Morgan was a centre midfield. And you think of, you know, the, the people knocking around like Billy Jones and, you know, Brian Robson and all these people, you know, uh, Steve McMahon. They'd easily knock him off the ball and go through it. Yeah, it was a problem, wasn't it? And then one last last name, Dean Horrocks, uh, who had come back to the dead. I think he'd been with us earlier on in his career and he'd come back to us, hadn't he? Um, on the substitutes bench that day, uh, though he didn't didn't um, take to the field. Um, so there we are. It's, it's also interesting when you look down the list of players. I mean, it's always a, a thing in football. Um, the less the less players you use, in a, in a, you know, the smaller your squad numbers over the players used over the course of the season. The more chance you have of success, and and that this is a classic example of that because um, we didn't use too many players. It was the same, roughly the same players, game in, game out across the whole of that that campaign. And there um, was also one game that season after that Blackburn game. One more game. What was that? Bob Pearson's testimonial game. Millwall played Arsenal the three days later. I'd forgotten that. Oh wow, good call. I'd forgotten that one, Jim. Yeah, my dad didn't get me tickets for that one either. <laughs> I can't remember going either, but I, I don't I, think I went. <laughs> but it's it's in my program collection. We <laughs> <laughs> dug one out. There. I, you blew me there. I I I don't remember that one at all. And Bob Bob Pearson's moment. We were come the year after. He become well two years later when we were getting later. relegated from from the first division. He briefly became Millwall manager to to no great success. Um, so the table finished. Millwall top of the league. Dear listeners, on full, played 44, uh, won 25 games that season, drew seven, lost to 12. We scored 72, conceded 52, um, goal difference of 20, and we finished four points clear at the top. Quite an incredible achievement when you stop and look at it in, you know, 32 years on, 33 years on. It's four quite a lot of goals to concede, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose with the season... Um, the season didn't look like it was going to become a success until quite late, comparatively mm. speaking. You compare those goals conceded, um, 52, <clears throat> with Middlesbrough, 36 goals conceded. Um, 
and they, they finished in third place in the playoffs. Mm. Um, and like we mentioned, Huddersfield conceded 100. So there was goals flying in, but yes, a hell of a lot of goals to concede. But I think our yeah, goal difference was quite good, ironically. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, no, our goal difference is quite bad. We were plus 20. Plus 20. Villa were, yeah, Villa were 27. Middles were 27. Bradford were plus 20. Blackburn plus 16. Palace were plus 27 and still didn't make it. That's just a shame, that, isn't it? That's a shame. It's just outside the playoffs and um, oh, they didn't see. make it. Um, that would be the season they had the playoffs with the threes from the second division and one from the the top flight. Um, I think that was the last time, yeah. Yeah, and Middlesbrough, am I right? Middlesbrough won the playoffs that year? Yeah, they did. They, um, is that correct? beat Chelsea 2-0 home and lost 1-0 away. So they um, relegated Chelsea, yeah. basically. Yeah. I thought that was a great system. I'd bring that back if I, if we ever get football back again. Um, so there we are. That's the Millwall season, 1987-88. Um, I want to thank Jimmy Webb for joining us all the way from Australia. You got any other... You've done me with that Bob Pearson. Now you said it, it's come back to me. I remember it now, Jim. You, you, you turned me over with that one, mate. Good, good, good find. Just looking at um, Sean Sparham played the first Sean six Sparham. or seven games. The yeah, that's an obscure name, actually. I suppose we could. Um, Steve Anthrobus made three Steve appearances. Steve Anthrobus made three appearances. Yeah. As as we're on obscurities now, um, Sean Sparham was a name. I remember him. I I cannot remember a thing about Sean Sparham. I'm trying to think. If I think of anything, I'll, I'll mention it before we before we finish. Um, Actually, I think of well, the reason why he keeps popping in my memory because there's a village called Sparham just up the road. And I keep passing it. And every time I pass it, I think that's Sean Sparham. Sean Sparham's <laughs> village. Um, but yeah, um, a great season. My favourite season. I suppose I say that. Actually, 1988 is my favourite year because you you have this kind of run to promotion. And then the golden age of um, the first division, which maybe we'll come back and do another day. Um, memories of the first division. Um, and that was also the first, probably the first part of that season, which was also in 1988. So I've always felt that I, the year 1988 is a golden year for me as, as a Millwall fan. Actually, looking at the table, I just realised that four of the teams we played that year have since gone on to win the league. Can you name them? To win the league? Um, Leeds would have won it. Um, Blackburn. I'm looking at the table, Tom. So Manchester City. Yeah. And Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. Well, quite, yeah. Quite, if you look at the league, yeah, it's quite a strange old league. Yeah, Shrewsbury. And there's Sheffield they're, they're United. Yeah. Sheffield United in the in the relegation playoffs for the uh, that be the third. They division. lost as well. They lost. They went down so, that yeah. Just shows you how football can turn. So um, mm. and Oldham, they're in tenth. Look at that. There's there's a. <clears throat> you know, it just shows you what what can. Um, One of their golden go on. periods, yeah, and they were just on the cusp of their golden period, weren't they? Yeah, early nineties. There we are, long time ago. I want to say thank you to Jimmy Webb. I think we've reached the conclusion of the consideration of the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season, golden season. Big thank you to to Jim for joining us all the way from Australia. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks, guys. It's been it's been nice to uh, remember. And, uh... Maybe I can bury the uh, the Crystal Palace amble now once and for all. <laughs> the hoodoo. And big thank you to Neil Andrews for joining us from a location somewhere in the eastern part of England. Yeah, thanks for opening those old wounds, rubbing salt into them and yeah, making me happy for the rest of the weekend. And then maybe perhaps we could close with a, a chorus of We Fucked It Up for the Palace. <laughs> to conclude the show. <laughs> fucked it up. There go. Fucked it up for the Palace. We, we fucked, fucked it up, up for the Palace. <laughs> We fucked it up. <laughs>
I humbly Thank- decline to join this <laughs> singer. <laughs> Thank you very much, listeners. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll come back another day with another show. All the best. The excellent new Millwall history should shortly need updating because of the achievements of this team, which has climbed to the top of the second division. Millwall's last match at Bournemouth brought a fourth consecutive victory. Terry Herlock's excellent goal turned out to be the decider. But only because of the type of incident which often stands between promotion and failure. Brian Horne, the Millwall goalkeeper, protected a 10-game unbeaten run with a last-minute penalty save to stop Richard Cook equalising. Millwall at home to Stoke City today, with manager John Doherty and his assistant Frank McClintock trying to keep the ship stable. But are the nerves starting to show? No, it's the ideal situation to be in. You know, it's much better coming with a late run than it is being there, being everybody having a go at you from Christmas onwards. Um, but the fact that we are top makes the last three, or it made the game at Bournemouth particularly difficult, and will make the next three just as difficult because it adds a little bit of extra incentive to the opposition that want to knock you off the pedestal. John and I are on them every day, like most managers are anyway, but there's been a gradual improvement individually in the players and collectively as a team. I feel as though they all know what each other are doing. Um, there's a, an air of confidence about the side before we go out on a Saturday. We demand hard work from them in every game and we're, we're getting that. But we're also getting the calmness, that, um, especially in the attacking half, that we didn't have at the beginning of the season. party began at Hull yesterday, Millwall's Jimmy Carter celebrating with the fans on the pitch, whilst the team enjoyed themselves in the dressing room. The Lions are the only London club not to have played First Division soccer before. Manager John Doherty is to be offered a new five-year contract to mark the success. Frank McClintock is number two, is to get a similar new deal. The gates at the Dem will be closed on a 17,000 full house on Saturday. Today, £3 standing tickets were changing hands at £30. Even the keenest fans have been amazed at the team's end-of-season run-in. Roman crying. There was old fellas here saying the sort of grounds they've been to with third division and second division clubs, and now we're going into the big time. Yeah, no, don't travel for two years. No travel all for two years. No we've been away, we've got the best supporters at Bournemouth, best supporters at Swindon. I would, I would say the den's got to be the safest ground. Safest ground. He's an awesome fan, he's a little tell, yeah. Right yeah. now. Yeah, I've mixed with all this, none of them, all the Millwall fans that are now, none of them's trouble. Two years ago, with debts of three million pounds, Millwall nearly folded. The future of football of the den looked bleak. That's when Reg Burr took over as chairman. The debts were cleared, a new club was formed, and now promotion. There are people who have waited a lifetime for this. There are people who waited all their lives and not seen it. Um, uh, I have never seen any, uh, the, any emotion so high in football as they were running on uh, yesterday at, at, at Hull. listening to 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 